You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on a sermon series that will take us through the Gospel of John, entitled, Learning Jesus. Well, you know, it's really hard to find selfless people in our world, people that make the point of their life about the flourishing of another. And I think if we were going to look for maybe a broad category of that type of person, we could probably safely say that moms would fit the bill, that they're willing to give of themselves and continually be selfless for the flourishing of another. And perhaps we could name famous people that would come to mind that are quick to be selfish and grab the mic and they want the spotlight in their life. Or we could even maybe make a list of people in our own lives that are that way, that they want the attention, they want the spotlight. And so to live selflessly is a remarkable thing. And as we go into our passage here today, that's what's so confounding about this person that we're going to read about. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. And we're going to be in John chapter 1 in verses 6 through 8. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures for yourself, grab the one in the seat back in front of you there. Page 886 is where we'll be today. As well as the Ridgewood Church app, you know, we uh, put the outline in there each week. It's a great way for you to track along uh, with the points of the sermon. You'll know how much longer you have to listen to me within that as well today. And so a lot of people are benefiting from that. Our community groups, a lot of them will use the questions that are put in there as well. And so that's available on Apple and Google Play uh, there for you. And so the big idea of today is not me, but him. Not me, but him. And we've just started a series on the Gospel of John called Learning Jesus. And so uh, we want our lives to be formed by who he is, not just that we know facts about Jesus, but that we are formed by his ways. We want to live like him. We want to know him. And so in this series called Learning Jesus, we've seen a couple things already just in the first few verses of chapter one here. We saw that Jesus exists eternally, and it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then last week, Pastor Paul guided us through how Jesus is the light and he's the source of everything and that we're to run to him. And so that is a little bit of where we've been if you're just joining us here today. And so today, as we go in and look at the life of a person that's pointing to Christ, I want to just lead us off by reading these verses and then we'll jump in. And so you can follow along with me there. John chapter 1, verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So this is God's word to us today. And I just want to give you a little bit of backstory on John so that we can kind of lay a foundation for who he is And if you're newer to the scriptures, it might be a little bit confusing because we're in the gospel of John, and then we're talking about a different John here today. So just to clarify that, that the author of this gospel, uh, theologians call him John the Evangelist. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of the 12, and he was one of the people that was most close to Christ during his earthly ministry. And so that's the author of the book. Now today, in these verses, we're talking about John the Baptist. And I just want to lay a little bit of a foundation for who he is and speak about what this John is all about. And so we understand that his name means Jehovah is merciful. And as the forerunner to the Messiah, this name was given to him by God for a very specific reason. And John's roots run deep, and he was a part of the priestly line. His father's name is Zechariah, and his mom's name was Elizabeth. And so they had prayed for years and years, God, would you give us a child? 
And they had prayed and asked for that, and they had gone without. Elizabeth was barren, and they were unable to have children. And one day, Zechariah had an encounter, and we see that in Luke's gospel in in verse 13. I want to draw your attention to it here on the screen. And this is what happened. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And I love this. It says, And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So Elijah was a famous prophet. They would have all known who he was. And to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so John had power given to him by the Holy Spirit, and multiple places in the scriptures say that he was like Elijah, and Elijah was a rustic guy, as was John the Baptist. They were undomesticated fellas. They wore uh, wild things, and they ate crazy things as well. And one phrase that's used about John here is that he's making ready a people prepared for the Lord, and in Mark's gospel, it says that he's making straight paths for him. So at the outset, when we see Elizabeth carrying John, we understand a little bit further into the gospel of Luke that Mary had just had her own encounter with the Lord, and she understood that she was going to be carrying the Son of God. And so we pick that up here in verse 39, just to give you a little more detail here. And it's believed that Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, and so she goes to visit her, and it says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. An amazing thing that God is doing. And Mary and Elizabeth had a wonderful connection, and they were blessed. And they were filled with fear, but even more than that, they were filled with faith. And for them to have heard what they heard, it was confounding news. And I don't know if you've ever been provoked by the Lord. You know that he's called you into something, and he's pulling you into it. And instead of your first initial feeling being faith, oftentimes perhaps it would be a fear, and it's an overarching thing. And as they heard this, you know, Elizabeth has been barren her whole life, prayed for a child for so, so long. And then she hears the news of like, hey, you know, it's happening. It's really happening. And then Mary, she hasn't even been near a man and understands, wow, now I'm carrying the Son of God. Some really confounding news for both of them. And they experience, it says, the Lord's blessing. And ultimately, that blessing comes in the form of faith and hope in the promise of the coming Messiah. I love the initial relationship and an ongoing one between John and Jesus that even while they're both in the womb, John's response to the Savior is that he leaps for joy, that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said an amazing thing about John years later after they were grown up in Luke 7. He said, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. And so with all of this foundation of understanding who John the Baptist is, the thing I want you to catch the most is that John came to be the spark to start the movement of Jesus, that he came as a witness. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. 
just to kind of give a little bit more modern day thought around John the Baptist, if he had a Twitter account and this was his bio, these might be some things that were there. So at JTB, I don't think that's a real uh, account, but perhaps these are some things that might be said about him. Hey, I'm a forerunner to the Messiah. I make straight paths. I enjoy water a lot. I typically do what God tells me. I prefer primitive fashion. I'm a lover of the wilderness and bugs and honey are my thing. So he's a radical guy. That gives us a little bit more of a picture into how he lived his life. And one scholar says, really importantly, about John is he says that he had one foot in the age of promise and one foot in the age of fulfillment. And so the Lord used him to come and bridge the gap. He was a key transitional figure between the old covenant and the new. I just wanted to give you that fuller picture of who John is so that we could feel the strength of his life a little bit. And just want to point out really quickly four things out of our verses that I believe God would say to us and that was said about John as well. And so the first is that he was sent from God, that John the Baptist was sent from God. And the idea of being sent, we look at that some together this fall, and that word that's used there is where we get our word apostle. So it's sent with a specific purpose on a particular mission. And a number of years ago, me and a group of 10 or so guy friends went to see the movie Zero Dark Thirty when it was in the theaters. And it was the um, telling of the story of, with a little bit of Hollywood peppered in there as well, uh, the true accounts of how SEAL Team 6 was sent in to go get Osama bin Laden when they had been looking for him for the last 10 years. He was the most wanted man in the world for that amount of time. And so they said, hey, I think we know where he is. Let's go get him. And so upon watching that movie and they successfully captured him, we got out into the lobby and it's like, are we going to fight each other here or, in the, or do we have to wait till the parking lot? We were so amped up that they accomplished their mission. They were sent with a specific purpose and they accomplished it. And some of you might remember that the, all the actions of the team mattered because as they were coming in, uh, one of the helicopters, uh, seeking to be as stealth as they could, they crashed one of the helicopters right outside um, where he was. And it was important that the commander said, no, we're sticking with it because a lot of the team said, we probably ought to bail out. This isn't going how we thought it would. And I don't know about in your life, but perhaps you're feeling uh, circumstances that don't seem to be exactly what you had thought of would happen in your life or what you had hoped for. And I just want to encourage you today to keep forward and stay committed to what you know God has shown you to do. And that was John. He stayed connected to the type of commitment that he knew he was sent and he lived like it. He acted like it. When we talk about him being sent, what does that look like? I just want to draw your attention to a couple things, like what was he doing as he was sent? And so we've alluded to the first part already a little bit, that he was preparing the way of the Lord, and that he was announcing that this Messiah was coming, and that the King of Kings was coming on the scene. He was going to establish his kingdom, and so that's what John came to do, to prepare people to receive the King of Kings. And the way that he did that is the second thing that I would draw your attention to, is through uh, baptism of repentance. And so that was the mode that he used to awaken people f- to their need for a Savior, and he was preparing them through confession and repentance. He was calling them into that. And the baptism that he gave in Matthew 3, it says it was a symbolic one, but it was very meaningful in the sense that they came and poured out their hearts, that they confessed all of their sin, and they repented of who they were in preparation for receiving the Messiah. And so the baptism wasn't just a, hey, we're going through the motions sort of ritual. It was very important as they laid their hearts down 
before and being ready to receive the Messiah. And that's why a few verses later in Matthew 3, when the Pharisees and Sadducees are coming down, they were the religious people of the day. They came down to receive that baptism, and John says, hey, whoa, hold on just a minute. Bear fruit unto repentance. You might remember him saying that. And I love in the message paraphrase, it describes this in verses 7 through 10 of, John, or of Matthew 3, when John realized that a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees were showing up for a baptismal experience because it was becoming the popular thing to do, he exploded. Brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to make a difference? It's your life that must change, not just your skin. And the appropriate response for us in encountering the Lord is to lay our lives down and surrender to him. And that confession and repentance is the first step that we take in receiving Christ. He was, John was making straight the path for people to meet, to know, and to follow Jesus as they laid their hearts down. And it isn't baptism that saves us, but it's faith in Jesus that does. We understand that Jesus stepped forward to be baptized himself. The scriptures are really clear that he didn't do that in order to, because he needed to repent or to confess, but rather he embodied all that it would take for righteousness of mankind to follow in obedience. And he was our example in that. And when he came out of the water, the father said, this is my beloved and fully mature son in whom I'm well pleased. If you haven't taken the step of baptism after becoming a believer, we'd love to talk more fully with you about that and walk alongside you in any way that we can. As Erica mentioned in our membership class next week at 10 o'clock, that's a great place if you're like, hey, I don't know if I want to be a member yet, but I do want to explore this. We cover that in detail there, and we'll walk you through the scriptures. We'd love to be um, play any role that we can in helping you to take that step in what God would have for you there. And we're really concerned that sometimes the messaging for people uh, when they come into the local church is the three B's of believe, be baptized, and behave. And we see in this passage here today, and we're so convicted as a church that it goes way beyond that, and that it is about a relationship. And John is showing us that God has more for us just than the mechanics of religion, but that there's a relationship for us to have. And ultimately, as we walk with the Lord, he gives us purpose and life. That he was sent from God. The second thing that we see is that he came to bear witness. And bearing witness is speaking about something that you have personal experience from or something that you have prior knowledge of. So for a witness, they have seen something take place and they're giving an account of what they've personally seen or experienced. And many theologians believe that John the Baptist would have rather have been called John the Witness. So JTW rather than JTB, I guess. And John the Evangelist, the author of the Gospel, pulls on this idea of being a witness so, so much. And, and 33 times within this gospel alone do we see that. And so it's going to continue to be kind of a constant theme as we go through our series on learning Jesus, the idea of being a witness. And to witness of who Jesus is costs people things. In following Christ, many times it costs people their family. Oftentimes it costs them their life in many parts of the world. And we get the word martyr out of this Greek word that's used for being a witness because of what it's cost people. And so when it's transliterated into English, that's where we get our word martyr. There's a cost to following Jesus, but it's totally worth it. And in many parts of the world, that's still taking place today. But John is bearing witness that Jesus is the Savior. 
that he's the Savior of the world. And this is the testimony that he's giving. And it's an incredibly important piece for John in his calling, his unique role and calling. But it's not one that's meant just for him or for a select few. And I believe that we have a fixation with a celebrity or with a spectator culture. And sometimes I, could it be that we talk ourselves out of being witnesses because we say, gosh, you know, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I should do that. These people were made to do that. And so this select few can go tell people about Jesus and I'm just going to go do my thing. When God really means for us to be walking that out and sharing of who he is, and speaking powerfully of what he's done in your life. And so I don't know if you look at people in your life and go, man, they attend church more than I do, they love their neighbors better than I do, they give of themselves more than I do. If any of those things, we could continue to make a list, are derailing you from being a witness, let me encourage you that it's not for a select few, but that John was going before us and laying out a path for how we point to Christ. John Tyson is a guy that I listen to quite a bit. He's a pastor out of New York City, um, and he's a church planner there. And he said, and I've shared this with you once before, far too often we act like prosecutors when we're only called to be witnesses. And many times we try to muster up our strength to be the best Perry Mason or the best Marsha Clark that we can and rake people over the coals to prove to them just how good Jesus is when the real power is in the simplicity of the witness. That we can say, I've been changed by Christ, I've experienced him, and it's hard to argue with the witness. The real power is in those that are witnessing. To be able to say, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and that God came to save me, and that I was going down a path of destruction, I was lost as a goose, I was in total darkness, and the light of the world entered into my life. And that's the story of all that are followers of Jesus in varying forms, that we have the witness to say Christ has come to change us. And it doesn't have to be over the top for your story to be this, I was way over here and now I'm over here. It doesn't have to be hyper-intellectual for a lot of people. It just needs to be true. And I've heard many people say to me as I sit with people that, you know, I don't have that radical of a testimony. And I just would encourage you out of Ephesians 2 that you were dead and you've been made alive. There's nothing more radical than being spiritually made alive to follow Christ. And that is the story and the witness that you can bear. We can't argue with the power of witness. And we aren't called to be prosecutors. We're called to be witnesses. Another piece of this, being a witness, that's really important is around the idea of personal experience. That we're speaking of what we know. Speaking of what we've experienced. And maybe there's some of us that don't see ourselves as witnesses because we just haven't spent a whole lot of time with the Lord lately. And it's not just, hey, in 1988, my grandmother shared the gospel with me in the front room of my parents' house in Hearst, Texas, and I responded to the gospel. That is the beginning place of it, but it's not just where we came to faith. It's in an ongoing way that we experience Christ as we walk with him. And so could it be that some of us struggle with being a witness because we haven't spent a lot of time with the Lord and what feels like more of a distant memory ought to feel more like firsthand knowledge. And so there's no judgment here and God gives us the opportunity just to come back and be close to him. But perhaps that's some of the call that God would have for you today is to return to spending more quality time with him so you're speaking truthfully of the things that he's doing present day in your life. He was called to be a witness, and he was sent from God. The third thing, real quick, just to show you, is that he knew that he was not the light. And that was very important, and it's a key theme of John the Baptist's life 
all the way through, that he understood who was the light. And he said of Jesus, talking about him being the light, that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That's how much excitement and energy he had pointed towards exalting Christ and pointing towards Jesus. And we've got to be careful that we don't think too highly of ourselves and believe that we are originators of the light. We're purely pointers to the light. And we're passing on and reflecting what the true light has given us. And I love in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul sarcastically and rhetorically says to the people, what do you have that you haven't received? And that's a really good thing for us to consider, that everything that the Lord has done in our life, it comes from his grace, it comes from him initiating that goodness into our life, and that's what we pass on. It's not something that we're mustering up in our own strength. When we reduce Christianity down to a set of principles that we just give a mental acknowledgement to, or if we see ourselves as able to carry out these strict moral obligations, but we're going to do it in our own strength, we're not living out of the power that John the Baptist experienced and what Christ means for us to have as well. And for John the Baptist, the crowning achievement of his life was pointing to another. What an incredible thing to consider in the way that he lived that out. And in John 3.30, and a couple chapters later, he said that he must increase, but I must decrease. And it's this idea of not me, but him, that our life would continue to point to him. And in the humility of John, that's the key character quality that we need to pull from this, is that he continues to point to another. And I confess many times that I act uh, in a way where I just want to pull the spotlight into who I am. And just like America's favorite newscaster, Ron Burgundy, says, hey, come see how good I look. You know, that can be the mindset that we carry. But what a miss for us if that's how we live our life. And I really believe that a lot of the burden that we carry is because we see ourselves as the point. We're surrounded with media that's constantly telling us this is how this political thing affects you or this is how this other thing uh, matters to your life. And with social media, we really can start to begin to think, man, I am squarely in the center here. And sure, we wouldn't say that externally, but wow, do we think like it and live like it oftentimes. We're just meant to be reflectors of the true light. One scholar rightly points out in speaking about Israel, says that they were content with the copies of the light. And he says they had Moses and the law, the temple and the sacrifices, but they did not comprehend that these lights pointed to the true light who was the fulfillment and the completion of Old Testament religion. And for John to be sent by God to bear witness, understanding that he wasn't the light, that mindset wouldn't do. And for those that were pointing to Christ, he just continued and said, hey, all of what you experience is looking towards Jesus, and now I'm here to tell you the same thing as well. And that's what God calls us to live out. And the last thing, just really quickly, that we see in this passage is that all of that takes place so that all might believe. We've, we're called into it so that all might believe. And what a gift that that is. And belief isn't just a knowing about, but it's a knowledge personally of who God is, and it's the conviction that something is true, that he's real, and that we can trust in him. And for Israel to be confronted with their need for a savior and respond to that in baptism, that's true belief. They're receiving the truth that Jesus is the only way to salvation, and then trusting in him by faith. And that's the difference in knowledge about and real belief. It's that we've seen too much, and we're in awe of what we see as we encounter the light of the world. 
This true light transforms us, and we get to live within that light eternally for those that are followers of Jesus. So as we close, I just want to ask you to consider for a second, what does your life point to? And I'm not just saying that to be cute, but like really, where are you headed right now? How are you spending your time, and what are you devoting yourself to? And perhaps you're in a place that circumstances feel really cloudy in front of you, and it's been a confusing season, and you're looking to the Lord, help me to make it through today, help me to understand what it is that you want from me next, and I just would encourage you that I believe the Lord would say, continue forward and lean in and continue to point to Jesus as the light, and as you do that, clarity and confidence and peace will come as you continue to live in what God made you to do in pointing to him. The heart cry of every Jesus follower is to say, not me, but him. And we could look and go, well, gosh, you know, this guy's in the Bible. He ate bugs. You know, he had the power of the Holy Spirit and, you know, all these things and say, that can't be me. But God doesn't mean for it just to be John the Baptist or just some other person sharing about the goodness of what he's already done and what's taken place in your life for you to say, not me, but him, so that he's first in all things within your life. And I just want to close with this exhortation and encouragement from the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. And um, as he was, he shared this with his congregation as he was preaching through this passage. You can see it here on the screen as well. He said, dear friends, if you and I know our real destiny and are servants of God, we are sent that men might through us believe in Jesus. John was a special witness, but we ought all be witnesses to complete the chain of testimony. Your story matters, and God has your life touching lots of different people for a reason, for you to be a witness to them and complete the chain of testimony. He said, every Christian should reckon that he is sent from God to bear witness to the great light that through him men might believe. I just ask for you to bow your heads, and let's consider what it is that the Lord would be saying to us specifically, and then in just a moment, I'll close us in prayer. Lord, we need a transforming vision of the light, and so I pray that you would bring that to us and help us to see and enjoy it as it changes us and help us to move more towards pointing to Christ and to understand that out of that we find our greatest satisfaction and rest in knowing that we aren't the point, but Christ is. And so help our hearts to find rest in this place of pointing to you and to know that that's where true joy comes from, that you might increase. In Jesus' good name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.